Hey, this is Steve. This podcast is all about making the gospel relevant to your life. (laughs) That means discovering the good news of Jesus no matter what you're going through today. You know, we each have a certain mental image of our spouse, right? And our image is formed by our spouse's past, their failures and their successes, or by the present circumstances, whatever we're going through today. Does my image match up with God's image of my spouse? And what would it take for me to see my spouse through God's eyes? She brought the picture out and she was like, hey, um, what's the date of this picture? I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I, what, what is she goes, well, you just, can you re- read the date on there? I'm like, I don't, there's not, there's not, I'm looking at the picture, there's not a date on there. She goes, yeah, sure there is. And apparently there's a date. See, it's printed right here on the side of the picture because I guess that's the way they did it back then. And so uh, there's a date, but I couldn't even see that. It's this little four by four thing. So I did the thing that all of you that remember 50 probably do. I got the phone out and I did the thing where I took the picture and then blew it up, you know, real big. Anybody here ever do that before? Yeah, okay, I'm blowing it up. And I still had a hard time. I'm really glad it's this big because I can actually read August 68. That's right, 1968. So yeah, um, I looked at that picture and uh, I, I just realized that this print is so small and I can't see it. And even, even blown up big on my phone, I had to make sure my glasses are on right because I I can't see I'm over 50 1968 so that means I can't see anything up close my eyes just don't work up close anymore they only work far away if I'm watching tv I don't have to wear my glasses you know if I'm driving I don't have to wear my glasses but dude if I'm going to be reading my notes or if I'm going to be studying or if I'm going to be looking at pictures up close I gotta I gotta have my lenses on I, I can really only see clearly through my reading glasses lenses Anybody else that way? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes, sometimes our marriages are kind of the same way. Sometimes we kind of get it backwards. You know, we're not so much farsighted. Sometimes we're short-sighted in our marriages. Sometimes we think our marriage is a disaster because we don't see the long, big picture. We just see what's right in front of us right now. You know the expression, I can't see the forest for all of the trees, right? I mean, we're, we're all focused in on what's happening right now, today, what he just said, what she just did. We're all focused on this right now. And maybe, maybe we've got the wrong lenses on. Maybe, maybe we just need to look at our marriage through the right lens. That's why last week we started looking through God's lens on our marriage when we looked at what he tells us in Ephesians 5 about marriage. He says this, he says, as scripture said, this is what God says to the apostle Paul. He says, as the scriptures say, this is from Genesis, he's quoting Genesis. He says, a man leaves his father and a mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. So first of all, Paul connects us back to Genesis and he connects us to God's definition of marriage that he defined at the very beginning in the garden. And here's what he says about it. He says, this is a great mystery. This is what he says next. This is a great mystery. And last week, all of the husbands agreed, my marriage is a mystery, amen? Wow, okay, this week you just don't wanna admit it. 
Maybe there was some dialogue in your house after last week's message. How many of you guys would say, my marriage is still a mystery to me? Come on, come on. Yeah, I know, it is to me too. 31 years and I still cannot figure her out. Here's the weird thing. 31 years, I still, I still cannot find the target to shoot at. You know, just when I think it's right here, oh no, it's over there. Anybody relate to that? But you ladies have us totally, you have read our mail, dude. You know everything about us and you know how we're thinking and what we're doing wrong and you tell us all about it. Am I right? <laughs> amen. <laughs> I heard a big amen, a female amen in the back. Yeah, yeah, so I still, it's still a big mystery, honey, if you're watching still. <laughs> uh, you're a mystery to me that I'm grateful for. Mark Rodriguez said it well last week. I love a good mystery. So this is a great mystery, but it's an illustration. It's an illustration. Our marriage is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So God is drawing a picture of something in your marriage, right? He put you together with her. He put you together with him because he's got a very specific picture he wants to draw of the way Christ and the church are one. Yeah, he, he's, he's meshed you guys together, Aaron and Jamie. He's put you all together because in your marriage, he's got a very specific way he wants to illustrate the unity of Christ and the church. He's got a very specific way he wants everybody to be able to see the gospel by looking at your marriage. So here's my question to all of us here today. Can you look at your marriage and see a picture of the gospel. Hmm. Let me level that up one. Can your friends look at your marriage and see a picture of the gospel? Do your coworkers know something more about Jesus by looking at your marriage? Let me level that up one more for you. Can your children learn about Jesus by looking at your marriage? No pressure. But this is the purpose of marriage. God is drawing a picture for everyone to see, and it's a picture of him. And I want to promise you, your marriage draws a picture of someone. Your marriage draws a picture of something. What is your marriage drawing a picture of? You're, you're doing it now. You, you did it this morning before you got here. You did it yesterday. You did it last night. You are drawing. Every time you relate in some way to your spouse, every time you talk to your spouse, you're drawing a picture. Every time you prioritize your time, you're drawing a picture. Yeah, you're drawing a picture in the way you spend your money in your marriage. You're drawing a picture in the way you play with your kids in your marriage. You're drawing a picture in your sex life. So I'm just telling you, this is a big deal. So next Sunday, a week from today, next Sunday, we're going to be taking a frank, hard look at what God says about the role of sex in your marriage. So get ready, that's next week. 
Did you hear that awkward pause for just a second? <laughs> That's going to be next Sunday. So I hope you'll be back next Sunday for that frank discussion. Maybe right now the picture that God wants to draw in your marriage is maybe it's faint. Maybe it's like that little baby picture of me. It's, you know, it's tiny and you can barely make it out. It's old. It's faded. Maybe you're not seeing what God intends for you to see. And maybe that's frustrating for you. Maybe that's caused problems in your relationship. There's tension there. There's friction there. And maybe, maybe, maybe you're looking desperately for that picture that you so need to see and you aren't finding it. Well, I have good news for you. Your picture doesn't have to be complete yet. It's okay. I'm here to give you some good news on this. It's okay. Listen, I've been married for 31 years. Dude, here's the geezer right here. 31 years. Who's got more than 31? Come on, let me see. Who's got more than 31 in here? How, how many? 35 just coming up July. That's pretty good. How about in the back? I can't see in the back. Wait, I heard two. What? Fixing to be 40? Woo! Come on, fixing to be 40. That's pretty good. Anybody else more than that? 40? You got another 40 right there. Way to go. Good job. Anybody more than that? Let's hear it. 51. 51. Wow. Congratulations. Anybody got more than 51? That's pretty amazing. So here's the deal. I don't know if you've been married for five years or 10 years or 51 years. Your picture doesn't have to be complete yet because you are a work in progress, right? God's working on you and he's not finished with you yet. Am I right? So look at your spouse right now. Look at your spouse and you say, God's still working on you. I've given up, but God's still working on you. Now look at your spouse again and say, God's still working on me. Yeah, he's still working it out in you. You're still making progress. And that's because, and I want you to write this down. It's the first blank on your page. It's because marriage mirrors the gospel. The whole idea of marriage is that marriage mirrors the gospel. That's, I mean, I could stand here and I could teach you the 10 best tips to be a, a better husband. Uh, I, I could teach you the 10 best tips to be a better wife. I mean, I can Google that. That's fine. We can all Google that and learn the 10 tips and, and great. We got it done. But really, here's the deal. Marriage mirrors the gospel. God's drawing a picture of the gospel in your life. So what is it? I mean, if that's what it's all about, we ought to know what that is. So I want to be really clear about what that is. You know what the gospel is. The gospel is that at one time, you and God were not together, right? You were not together. You were separated. You and I were way, 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 way over here. We're way over here on this side. And God's way, 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 way over there. God is holy. He's righteous, right? I mean, God's perfect and pure, right? He is sinless. Everything about God is good because God is good. God is love. And frankly, we're the opposite of that. You and I are way, way over here. And we're born with a very different nature 
than God. We were originally designed, we were originally created to be in his image, but that image has long been broken. And so we're born into this fleshly, human, broken nature. And, and, and way over here, we're not, we're not aligned with God. We're not with God. We're against God. We don't love God. We love our sin. We love our rebellion. This is what we love. I'm telling you, that's why you keep trying to be closer to God, but you keep getting dragged back into that old self, right? I mean, that's, that's, why, that's why when you're driving through Kusawati late for work and the Florida license plate in front of you is only doing 16 miles per hour because they think it's their job to keep you below 20. I hear you laughing, but dude, there's going to be judgment one day. <laughs> judgment is coming for all sinners. So here we are and we get dragged back into how we want to respond to the Florida license plate. What we want to show them, we want to give them the sign of peace and love, don't we? No. We want to let them know who's boss. I mean, I'm just going to be honest. This, this preacher may have ruthlessly tailgated a Florida license plate as recently as a couple of hours ago. <laughs> And we keep getting drugged back into it. But you know what? No one's dragging us. We love it. That's why you keep going back to it. You know the truth. You know who God is. You know who he's designed you to be. But you keep going back to what you really love. And in our flesh, in our human broken nature, we love the rebellion against God. And here's the thing about it. God and your sin can never, will never coexist. God does not cohabitate with sin because he's holy, he's pure. Everything about God is perfect. And so when he shows up, dude, he doesn't have to get angry. He doesn't have to be mad about it. He just shows up and guess what? Sin's got to go. Sinners got to go. Right? Something's going to be eliminated. And I promise you, your sin is never any threat to God whatsoever. Your sin threatens you. Because when God shows up, your sin gets eradicated. And anyone hanging on to sin, anyone loving sin, gets dealt with over and done. Because the character of God eliminates all sin around him. That's called judgment. And that's what happens. So here we are way over here, and here's God way over there, and there's no way for us to get together because God is so different than we are. We are so hatefully rebellious against him loving our sin. But God does something amazing. He looks across to us, and he knows who we are. He knows what we love, and he knows who we hate. And God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. God so loved me in my rebellion that he sent his son Jesus. I could never come across to God, so he sent his son Jesus all the way to me. Jesus comes here, 
And he's the only one that ever walked this earth in perfect obedience to his father. Sinless, perfect, full of grace and truth. So he goes to the cross. And on the cross, God takes all the sin, all the rebellion that I've ever done, and he puts it on Jesus. Everything that I deserved, God gives to Jesus. God lets Jesus die on the cross to pay for my sins. He dies for me, dead and cold, and he goes to the grave. And then three days later, Jesus rises again to give me his life, to let me experience a relationship with his father, to bring me into his father's presence by sanctifying me, by walking me through this lifelong process that starts right where I am because he comes all the way to me and then he slowly brings me closer and closer. He justifies me right where I stand and he calls me holy and then he spends the rest of my life making me holy. Sometimes he drags me kicking and screaming. I want to hold on to. I want to keep that. I, want to, I don't want to let go. But he pulls me closer and closer to his father, making me more and more, remaking me into his image. And the way he does that is by showing up, by revealing himself. That's what grace is. When God shows up, he brings judgment, but grace says that he shows up and brings a relationship with himself. He shows himself to me and I can't help. The more I see him, I can't help, but give myself to him. And he changes me. He makes me new. I can't do it myself because I love the world too much, but he changes me and he makes me new. What this means for me and for you in our marriage is that he does the changing. In other words, next blank on your page, changing my spouse is God's job, not mine. Changing my spouse is God's job, not mine. He shows up and he reveals himself to us. And when we see him for who he really is, when we really see him for who he is, we can't help but say, I want to drop whatever I'm holding on to. Sometimes I fight with him, but when I really see him, I'm willing to let go and say, yes, I will obey, I will follow, I will become the person that you've designed me to be. Unfortunately, we don't, we don't understand this in our marriage. You see, because we've been married for too long, even if you've been married a short time, and so what we do is we see the fault in our spouses, we see where they're blowing it, where they've let us down, and we try to remake them the way we think they ought to be, right? We try to reform them into our image. And we'll use whatever tools at our disposal we can use to make them be like we want them to be, right? So we'll talk to them. We'll complain to them. We'll use guilt. We'll use the kids. We'll negotiate. We'll bargain, we'll use sarcasm, we'll even use the in-laws to get our way. And, and like a crowbar, try to cram them in to the image that we want. But all that is just manipulation. You hear me? Guilt, sarcasm, nagging, anger, blame, kids, 
negotiating, bargaining. It's all just manipulation. And God never uses manipulation. God changes us by his grace. He shows up in grace. And the Holy Spirit changes us. So we are very different from God. And what we need is not to try to use a crowbar on our spouse to fit them into our image. We need to see more of him. Can I get an amen? We need to see more of him in our marriage. And so God wants to draw this picture of us, That's why, or of himself in our marriage. That's why John expresses the advent of Christ using these words. He says in John 1, the word became flesh. In other words, the word of God, the expression of God. I would say the son of God became flesh, human, and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have, look at this, it's right here. We have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. He showed up and we see him. Once we see him, it starts to change everything about us. The writer of Hebrews says it this way. In these final days, God has spoken to us through his Son, God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance, and through the Son, He created the universe. The Son radiates God's own glory. That's what we're seeing. When we see Jesus, we're, we're seeing the Father's own glory, and He, Jesus, expresses the very character of God. He sustains everything by the mighty power of His command. So when we see more of Jesus, we see more of the character of God. We see more of Him as He reveals Himself. And the more I see Him, next blank, the more I see Him, the more I change. The more I see Him, the more I change. The more I see Him, the more I change. The more your spouse sees him, the more your spouse will change because changing your spouse is God's job, not your job. That's why Paul writes to the church at Corinth and he says this, he says, whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. You see that? Whenever you turn to Jesus, he removes the veil from your face. Think about a veil. What does a veil do? I mean, how many of y'all brides, when you got married, you wore a veil and your husband pulled the veil back to give you that kiss? Okay, a few, not so popular like it used to be. One, we got one, that's only one? Wow, I figured we'd have more than that. So a veil, what does it do? Covers your face and it covers your eyes. And so there's different kinds of veils. I mean, there's the kind of veil that's really, you know, thicker, darker that you can't really see through and there's some that you can see through but not super clearly but whenever someone turns to the Lord that veil that thing that keeps you from seeing is taken away so that you can see for the Lord is spirit and wherever the spirit of the Lord is wherever God comes in wherever God shows up there is freedom don't you need some freedom in your life 
Don't you feel like you're constricted by all the rules and regulations this world has to offer, especially now during the COVID, everything? Don't you just long for more freedom? What about in your marriage? Don't you just long to be free from the anger issues? Don't you long to be free from the tension and the friction? Don't you long to be free from always having to say it again? Don't you need freedom from that? Where the Spirit of the Lord is, which is where the veil has been taken away, there is freedom. He goes on and he says this, so all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. Once you've had, once you turn to him, he removes the veil and you can really begin to see him clearly. And the Lord, who is the spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. The more we see him, the more we become like him. Come on, we need to see him more in our marriages. My, my hope for you is that you will see him, that you'll know him for who he really is. Because nothing will change you more than knowing him. Nothing will change your marriage more than knowing him, seeing him. That's really why I'm doing this No God crash course starting tonight. And I really, I really, I really think it'll change everything about your life when you drop all of your preconceived, misconceived misunderstandings about God and you see God for who he says he really is. It'll change your marriage. It'll change everything in your life. So if you haven't signed up yet, it won't hurt my feelings if you take your smartphone out right now. Everybody, everybody just go ahead and take your smartphone out and humor me for a second. Come on, get your smartphone out. And you don't have just you can just pretend, okay? You can leave your screen off if you don't want to sign up, but help me feel better about uh, you actually signing up for my class. Come on, Steve. Come on. Let me see your let me see your smartphone. There, there look, he's holding his little pink smartphone. Here's my smartphone. Um, so get your smartphone out and go to the orchard.life, go to the orchard.life and just hit the little menu thing. It's in the top left-hand corner and uh, then just sign up for the No God Crash Course. You hit the menu button and then it's under classes right there. Ooh, we gotta zoom in. Uh, it's under classes and then uh, once you hit the little down arrow, there we go, you'll see the crash courses. It's a crash course. Oh, there's a lot of buttons you got to hit. And then you go to just sign up. You know, no God, you just sign up right there. And so it'll take you right to the little sign up page and you can sign up. Please sign up. It just helps us know how many chairs to put out, how many water bottles to have, how, many, how much coffee to provide, all that kind of stuff. So sign up and come tonight because I believe it will change you. The more you see him, the more you change. Hey, believer, that's why you as a Christian for five years, 10 years, 20 years still find yourself way over here you still find yourself here instead of with him because you are not making yourself available to seeing God it doesn't just happen magically the Holy Spirit works in you to change you over time and the more you can avail yourself to him the more change he will work in your life, in your marriage, in your job, in everything. 
So this week I'm reading Jesus praying his high priestly prayer. This is a big prayer for Jesus. He, he's, he's praying this prayer, you know, the last thing he does before he's taken from the garden to be whipped and beaten and crucified. It's that, it's that prayer that he's praying right, right before. And we don't get the whole prayer. Obviously, it's a long time that he's praying, but we see John gives us a little insight into what Jesus is praying. And when you read John 17, he's showing us that Jesus is praying for something huge. You can always tell what somebody really wants by the way they ask for prayer. You know, we get prayer requests all the time, and I can see where your heart is because of what you're wanting prayer for. So here's Jesus, and we can see his heartbeat. He's praying for us. He's praying for, for me and for you. He actually states, I'm not just praying for those that are with me now. I'm praying for all those who will come along later and follow me. He's praying for us. And man, you can really see his heartbeat. He prays for God's glory through us. I mean, he really prays, boy, he's all about God being glorified. And he, he doesn't pray that we'd have our theology right. He prays that we'd all be one, that we'd be unified. He prays for unity. Man, does he pray for unity among believers. Where do you feel unity or disunity more than in your marriage? So by extension, he's praying for your marriage here in this passage as he's praying for us to be unified. And then uh, he closes his prayer in a certain way, not like I close my prayers. You, you ever been in a prayer circle where you're around a little circle and people are praying, you're kind of going around and this one's praying, that one's praying, this one's praying. You ever been in that prayer circle? Anybody? Okay, two of us have prayed with other people. So I, I, I'm, I'm in the prayer circle, and you know how it goes. You know, this one's praying. I, I'm going to go last because I'm the preacher. I have to go last. So I, we're all going around the praying, and I don't know how it goes. I mean, we're praying, and, you know, about the third one, I've just tuned out. I'm not really paying attention anymore, right? Have, is it just me? They're talking, and I'm just like, uh, when's lunch, right? I mean, have you ever? I'm just the worst pastor in the world. I'll just be honest. Sometimes, sometimes I just tune out. I apologize. I try not to, but sometimes I do. Not most of the time, but some of them I, I tune out. Anyway, okay, so we're going around, and here's how, you, here's how you always know. Everybody always closes their prayer the same way, right? You're praying for this. You're praying for that. God, help us not be sick. Help us have traveling mercies. God, bless the food. Um, be with all the missionaries in Africa. We always pray for all the things that we need to pray for, and then we always close by saying, in Jesus' name I pray. Right? Right? We always say that. Don't, don't we always say that? It's like, that's how you know they're about done is because they're saying, in Jesus' name I pray. Now, we're commanded to pray in the name of Jesus. Our power comes from the name and the blood of Jesus. So we pray in Jesus' name boldly, claiming big things because nothing's impossible for God. Am I right? But unfortunately, we've kind of turned this, you know, in Jesus' name into this little trite phrase that we say at the end of our prayer, in Jesus' name and pray, amen. Right? Like, okay, it's because I'm supposed to pray this way. Right? Am I right? Come on. Am I right? So you always know. Uh, I do the same thing. But Jesus doesn't close his prayer that way. 
Jesus says something really profound to me at the end of his prayer. John 17, he's praying. He says, oh, righteous father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. And these disciples know that you sent me. In other words, they know you because they know me. So they know that you sent me. There's unity. The unity I've been praying for, look, it's forming right here. It's all working. And then here's what he says. He says, I have revealed you to them. So I'm going to pretend like this is a sentence by itself. I have revealed you to them, period. I have revealed you to them. I kind of feel like he's saying, Jesus out. Done my job. I have revealed them. I did what I was here to do. I only got one more thing. I'm going to do that as I'm leaving. I got to go to that cross. But everything else I was supposed to do for the other 33 years, done it. Remember, it started with the wine, changing the water to wine, and it's ended up at the upper room with me breaking the bread and the, and, and the wine, again with the wine. What's the deal with Jesus and the wine? So, <laughs> don't get off track, Steve. So, he says, I've revealed you to them. Jesus has shown us the Father. Remember when Philip said to Jesus, hey, if you'll just show us the Father, we'll be satisfied. And Jesus looks at him like he's an idiot. He's like, why do, you keep, why do you keep asking me to show you the Father? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I have revealed you to them. I've shown you, God, to them. And then he says this, and I will continue to do so. Okay, what's he talking about here? I will continue to do so. I mean, the unity is going to come. Your love for me will be in them, and I will be in them. That's where the unity comes. That's where God does his work is when we see him, when he is revealed to us. So I have revealed you to them, and I will continue to do so. What's he talking about there? Because I think Jesus was fully aware that they were about to come get him and drag him off to be fake tried beaten, whipped, and he was going to have to carry a cross and be crucified. Now, I also think he knew that three days later he would rise again. And I think he knew that he would spend 30 or so more days with them afterwards. But is that what he's talking about here? I, will con- I did my job, and now I'm going to the cross, and I will continue to do so. I have to think about this. I will continue to do so in light of what Paul says marriage is all about, right? Marriage is a mystery, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. The unity will happen as the picture is drawn. Is it possible that on the night he was taken to be crucified, that Jesus is in the garden and he's literally praying and thinking about your marriage? Is he thinking about how he will continue to reveal himself by drawing the picture in your relationship? Maybe that's what it's all about. Maybe he's planning to show himself to your children, to your coworkers, maybe even to the one you're married to by drawing the picture in and through your relationship with each other. That's what he's doing in us. He's giving us this gift from God of this grace of showing up in our marriages and drawing a picture of himself. 
I love that he says to us in Ephesians 2, he says, you are God's masterpiece. Boy, I use this verse all the time because I love, this, is, this may be, this word right here may be my favorite word in the Greek language because this is the word, anybody remember what this word is? I've said it a hundred times. Nobody pays attention. We are God's, the Greek word is poema. Thank you very much. One person in the back who will receive a Chick-fil-A gift card. Thank you, John Crawford. John, back there, he's just, he's just drinking his, I hope it's coffee. I don't know what it is. We are God's masterpiece. We're his poema. The Greek word here literally is the same word that we use for the word poem. We're God's creative, artistic expression of himself. You and I are God's Masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Maybe all the way back to the garden. Maybe all the way back before the beginning of time. He planned your marriage. He planned to express himself through you. He planned your kids. He planned your coworkers. And he planned to make you his expression of himself. But you aren't complete yet. You still blow it. You still let her down. You still let him down. And yet he says, you're my masterpiece. Is God stupid? Is he gullible? I mean, let's just take a, a moment of self-assessment. Do, do, do I look like a masterpiece? Do, thank you, Wes. Wes like, yeah, baby. <laughs> I mean, do you look like, look at your spouse and say, you are a masterpiece. Uh, I heard the passion over here in the Rodriguez corner, right over here. I don't know. I mean, I look in the mirror. I don't see a masterpiece. I know my shortcomings. I know where I have blind spots in some ways. Is God stupid? Here's what he says in Colossians 3. He says this. He says, for you died to this life. Remember how you like to hold on to the old? You like your way and your things and want it the way you want it right now and drive more than 20 in Kusawati and whatever it looks like. But you died to all this and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. This is so huge for us because here's the, the real deal. What this means is that when God looks at you, he doesn't see all that anymore. If you are in Christ, he got nothing to look at anymore. He knows about that, but he chooses to see you through the lenses of the completed work of Christ on the cross. When he looks at you, he doesn't see all the crud that you have in your past. And he doesn't see the vomit you keep going back to now. But what he sees is the next blank on your page. God sees me as I will be. He sees me as he is remaking me to be. In that sense, God is far-sighted. He's playing the long Game. He sees you in Christ. He chooses not to see what you're in now. He chooses to see 
Jesus when he looks at you. That's what grace really is. And that's how God loves us. Don't you long for that kind of love in your marriage? I'm reading in Isaiah 54 this week, and through Isaiah, God says, For the mountains may move and the hills disappear, but even then, my faithful love for you will remain. My covenant of blessing will never be broken. That means that because of Christ, there's hope for our marriage. The covenant will never be broken because God loves us that much. So here's the question for you. Last blank on your page. Can I see my spouse the way God sees me? Can I see the masterpiece forming in my spouse? Can I see the long game of what God wants to do? Can I stop getting caught up in the short game, the the trees instead of the forest? And can I see what God is doing on the long game? 